Hey everyone, you're listening to Topping the Curve, and this is your host, Sephora Gray. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Topping the Curve. One of my dearest friends, her name is Nabintu. She's here to talk to you all about the law school application process and what that looks like for her and all the factors that she considered when she was choosing a law school. So with that being said, I will not steal her thunder and I'll allow her to talk a little bit about herself and just introduce herself to you guys. So Nabintu, take it away. Hey y'all, um, like Sephora said, my name is Nabintu Dumbia. Um, I have had the pleasure of meeting Sephora at Georgetown Law, which is where I attend. Uh, I'm a 2L just like Sephora is. And uh, my interest as far as like the law goes is um, civil rights, but specifically like as it pertains to immigration law. And so right after law school, I will be at a firm. And then after that, I'm hoping to be able to do some legal, but also policy work um, in the realm of immigration specifically. Uh, really excited to be here and to talk with you all about my process of applying to law school and then ultimately choosing Georgetown. Thank you for that, Nibintu. So I'll go ahead and get into the meat of what everyone will be dying to know. So first, I want to talk about, you know, why law school? What made you want to come to law school? Why did you apply? Was it something that, you know, just came upon a whim? Do you have lawyers in your family? Or was there something specific or one driving moment that said, okay, I'm going to go to law school and this is what I want to do? Yeah, no, I really love this question. Um, So for me personally, like, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer when I was really, really young. Um, And most of that was really just a result of like my own family's experiences with the immigration system. So just being exposed to that at a very young age led me to make the decision to attend law school at some point. Mm -hmm. But obviously like as you go on and as you get older, you're sort of forced to um, decide, I think again for yourself, like whether or not a legal path is really what's right for you. And so I think for me personally, that sort of happened all throughout undergrad. So I did a number of just legal externships and things like that to really like hone in on my decision of whether or not I wanted to pursue law school. Um, And then I think secondly, like in terms of like my skills and my curiosities and my passions, I really just think that like pursuing law school just made the most sense. So even if I ultimately knew that I wanted to do something else that maybe looked like looked a little bit different than what I had always imagined for myself. I knew that like having the skill set and the legal and having a legal background in particular was like kind of what I would need in order to like branch out uh, as far as like my interests are concerned. Yeah, no, all of that makes complete sense. And you talked a little bit about, you know, the legal skill set that you get. I know we're both only two L's, but I think um, just in the two years that we've been in law school, you can definitely see that there's a big difference from when we were one L's and now our two L's. So can you talk a little bit about that skill set that, you know, you've gained or basically just to give our listeners an idea of the type of skills they will learn when they do come into law school, that can be helpful to them in their future career, whether that's a career in the legal field, such as going to a law firm or um, going to work in the government or just like going into politics. Because I think before going into law school, we sort of have like this idea of what it means to practice law. And then like you get into like 
law school and you're reading some of these cases for the first time, then what you immediately realize is that it's extremely dense material. And so a lot of what like the first year of law school focuses on is really that, right? Like how to be able to not only read the law and understand it, but I think really engage with the law and be able to sort of do what a lot of our professors would refer to as putting these cases in conversation with each other. Because you're ultimately like, you're not learning the law in order to regurgitate it, right? You're learning the law in order to be able to play with it in a way that ultimately mm -hmm. benefits you and benefit, you know, whoever you're in, interested in benefiting, whether that's like your employer, whether that's community members, et cetera. So a lot of like the first year of law school, I think for me was really just that, really just understanding first and foremost, debunking what I thought law school was going to be. Um, and then secondly, like starting to approach it and understand it for what it actually was. So that was like understanding very dense material, being able to start in September, but then ultimately in like May, just really get be able to get through like cases that you otherwise that was otherwise taking you hours to get through. And then of course, there's like a huge focus on just research and writing. So obviously, as you learn to um, so obviously, as you learn to uh, read the law, you also need to learn how to engage with it, right? So a lot of that looks like being able to respond to different things. Um, and so that was like different research and writing skills that I felt like one I really focused on that I really, really appreciate it. Um, and that I was able to like walk away uh, from the entire experience with and that I think during your second year of law school really allows you to be able to continue to apply those skills, um, which is what I think a lot of us are doing right now. Yeah. And so I completely agree with everything you said. And one thing you said stood out to me, you talked a little bit about, you know, learning the law and then learning how to read about the law and then subsequently apply those laws and how it's not necessarily just regurgitating the law, because, you know, I think a lot of people before law school, that's essentially what they think it is. It's, you know, well, I'm good at memorization. I just need to memorize the law and I'm going to do well. And so I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, you know, not the case at all. But I'm wondering if, if you read any books or if you tried to read case books before entering law school, and if you recommend that, you know, pre-1Ls or law school applicants read books or read case books or attempt to learn the law before actually entering law school. Yeah, so that's a really, really great question. And that's something that like you're going to hear everyone going back and forth about is whether like you just spend the first year of your law school career doing absolutely nothing because it is true. Law school is going to take up so much of your time or if you should actually do something to prepare. So as you'll come to learn, if you do decide to go to law school, I really think it does depend. Like you're, you're going to find that answer so annoying because everything literally depends, right? Um, it depends in a yeah. sense that if you don't do it, I don't think that it's the worst idea. I don't think you necessarily completely screw yourself over. Uh, you can like, you know, say goodbye to the curve because you're going to be at the bottom of it. I don't think, <laughs> I genuinely don't believe it's that, right? But could, would I also say that if you did something just prior to law school, do I think that it could be beneficial? Yeah, I think so, right? Because ultimately, like, this goes for everything in life. If you're able to approach something just knowing more about it, then the chances that you'll do better are increased. What I will say, though, is for those who, you know, are type A personalities, like pretty much every single person that decides to go to law school, if you do decide to do it, I would say, like, also, like, don't necessarily think that just because you do something prior to law school means that you're going to come in completely ready and completely prepared um, and you'll be ready to ace all of your classes. The learning curve is steep regardless of whether, you know, you choose to do something or you don't. So I think that's something to just be extremely mindful of. Yeah, no, I completely agree with everything you said. And I want to touch on one one aspect of that. So in terms of like trying to prepare for law school, um, the Bintu's answer saying it depends you know, <laughs> almost everything you will hear the answer to is it depends. But 
prior to going into law school, just speaking from personal experience, I did not read case books. I did not try to learn the law. But what I did do was prepare myself. So I was researching, yo, what is big law? I was looking up um, how to get good grades. I was looking up what I need to do in order to succeed. So in terms of, was I trying to teach myself the law? No, I was not. Was I trying to learn about law school, about grades, about professors, about outlines? Yes, I was. Do I think it helped me? Yes, I do. Um, Do I think that if you don't do that, that you're gonna do bad? Absolutely not. So again, like Nabinti says, it depends. There's no one right answer. And I don't think either way, like doing that research doesn't put you at the top and not doing that research uh, won't put you at the bottom, like Nabintu said. Um, so now like just moving away from that for a brief second and kind of stepping more into the application process. Can you talk about your application process, Nabintu? What, what were your aims when you were taking the LSAT? How did you make sure that you achieved that score? Or if you didn't achieve that score, what did you do wrong? And what would you recommend to our listeners to do? Um, also, did you self-study? Did you take a course? And I don't, I won't throw a million questions at you at once, but I just want to hear all about your application process. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of questions and probably what like people will be listening, <laughs> will, like, this is probably like one of the first things that they're like listening out for, especially if you haven't applied to law school yet. Right. So I would, um, so, okay, let's see kind of trying to go in, I guess, some sort of like chronological order. Mm-hmm. I did self-study um, for the LSAT. Pretty much, I think the research thing that Sephora, that Sephora mentioned in the beginning is is extremely, extremely important. And if you do nothing else as it pertains to like law school, just in general, I think like just becoming someone who's just very, very curious is extremely important. And I feel like that's sort of like a natural inclination that people who pursue this still tend to have anyways. Um, so why do I say that? Right. So I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out what would make me a strong applicant. Obviously I'm, you know, a black student. I come from an immigrant background. So I'm an underrepresented student in this field. And like that was going to have some sort of impact in my application process. So I spent a lot of time figuring out numbers, um, what, what sorts of things I really just wanted to like add to my application in order to make sure that it was really strong. But I think ultimately in order to make sure that it was telling the story of me as an applicant, Um, And so in terms of the LSAT, yes, I did self-study, not for any particular reason other than the fact that like I thought I was self-disciplined enough to do it. And a lot of the courses just seemed very, very intense. And I didn't want the courses to give me this false sense of like preparedness that I didn't actually have. So that was why I ultimately decided to do. I did use seven sage. So that's the number seven and S-A-G-E, which I think is one of the best like just law school preparedness overall, not only limited to the LSAT, but even like personal statements and diversity statements, I think it's just such a great resource. I would highly recommend it to everyone. So I used one of um, their like courses, but it was a self-paced one. So it was technically still still self-studying, but I had that as support. The Power Score Bibles you'll hear about from probably everyone or anyone who's ever taken the LSAT. So I used that as well. Um, In terms of a target, to be honest, I really just wanted to get like the highest score that I could possibly get. But number wise, what I really did was I went, I went um, and created a list of all of the schools that I was interested in applying to. And I looked at their median LSAT scores and I told myself, I need, so they'll give you the 25th percentile, the 50th, and then the 75th percentile. And I pretty much told myself, um, yeah, like I want to be able, like I need to make sure that I'm at least at, if not above the median for every single school that I want to apply to. Um, 
And so, yeah, that was kind of like how I like did goal setting Uh, in terms of the other application materials. I focused a lot on my personal statement. I know that that's something that's like for me, that was just really important because ultimately what I wanted to be able to say is if nothing else, like if my LSAT is not there, my GPA was like fine and, and was up there. So I wasn't too worried about that. But specifically with my LSAT score, I just wanted to like be able to still set my application up in a way where like I could be a strong applicant. And I felt that the personal statement in particular really gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, and then the diversity statement as some sort as like a boost, um, as a booster or like as a support system. But I think your personal statement is really where it's at, especially if you're a minority applicant, like you really want to be able to tell admissions committee people um, a story about yourself, like who you're asking to add as a part of their incoming class and why you need to be a part of that incoming class. That's ultimately what you're doing. Um, and I think like it's it's extremely important. I think that for those of us um, who, like I said, come from underrepresented backgrounds, you're really able to use that to strengthen your application in a way that other people might not be able to. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. I'm just kind of going to kind of summarize what you said. So going back to the beginning, the very first thing it sounds like is be curious, you know, go out there and find out what you need to be a strong applicant and make sure that your application tells the story of you. Uh, So that was the first point that I got from what you were saying. And feel free to stop me if I (laughs) mischaracterize anything you're saying, Nabintu. The second thing I heard was just about the LSAT. You um, self-studied, but you did it because you were disciplined enough to self-study and you knew that you would be able to achieve your goals by doing that self-study. So I think that's important. And I think that's something that applies in law school generally. You need to know who you are as a person and how you work. When you are in law school, you will have so much pressure coming from everyone around you who are doing things differently, who are studying differently. And you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, am I doing it right? Am I doing something wrong? These people are doing it so differently. And this is where knowing who you are and how you work comes into play. And so I can come I can completely relate to Nabintu saying that she knew that she was disciplined enough. If you are not disciplined enough, maybe you do want to get a course. Um, So that's just an evaluation that you would want to make on your own. Um, And then moving on to the Power Score Bibles, I can also vouch for that. I use the Power Score Bibles to study. I recommend it to everyone. I think they are amazing. Um, And then in terms of LSAT score. So Nabintu essentially created her list and then looked at the median LSAT scores of those schools. And her goal was to get that score or, um, or higher. And I actually want to come back to that because I want to talk about Nabintu, how you created that list, what schools you put on that list. Was it only T14? Was it tier one? Was it tier two? And then not only what schools you put on there, but I want to get into your reasoning as to why, because I do want you know, the listeners of the podcast to be able to make an informed decision when they are choosing schools to apply to and just having their eyes wide open when they are going into this process as someone who does not have lawyers in their family and kind of caught on to the game on my own through doing my own research. I want to kind of bridge that gap for everyone listening. So I'll come back to that piece. But lastly, Nabinta, you talked about your personal statement. And I really liked what you said. You said, if nothing else in my application, then this is why you need to admit me. And I really like that because that's exactly what a personal statement should be. And I think as minorities, you have a tendency or we have a tendency to think that you have to go through some tragedy or there has to be, you know, a drastic change in your life to have a really good 
drawing personal statement. And that's just not true. You can talk about anything that is applicable to you as a person and tells your personal story. And then um, I completely agree. If you are a diverse applicant, write a diversity statement. Again, um, just talk about yourself and be yourself. Your whole application just should tell a story. Um, does that sound right, Naventu? That sounds like what you were saying. Yeah, I would definitely say so. I think the point that you mentioned in terms of like kind of thinking that we can only limit ourselves to like our plight or whatever, you know, like, mm -hmm. of course, like tell, the, tell those things if that's what you want to tell, but don't necessarily mm -hmm. feel like you have to create that, right? So I think a lot of times like this can be a pressure that Black applicants in particular tend to like experience just that like, oh, I need to be able to tell something like extreme that has happened in my life and and that is that a reality for a lot of applicants yes it really is and you should tell that if that's what you want to tell but don't necessarily mm -hmm. feel limited to that if that's not your story because i think ultimately um because I, I i know like all schools don't do this but schools like georgetown for example do interviews it's not a requirement so only so only select um select applicants have to do it but the reality is like ultimately they want you to be an open and honest person right and so if you bluff in like a personal statement they'll be able to catch that in one way or another yeah exactly exactly and so now just going back to the schools you applied to tell us how did you pick those schools why did you pick those schools what factors went into it um whether that be money whether that be the um the big law rate just tell us everything yeah, no, definitely. So um, T14 is definitely like, that's not like a shocker or surprise to anyone. I don't think anyone hearing that is like, oh, man, not this again. <laughs> um, it, it's a reality. Like, I don't think it's something that people love talking about. But like, is the legal field very prestige based and prestige heavy? Yes, that that's just a reality of like this field. And I think that that's something that's important for us to be open and honest and specifically transparent about when we're talking with each other about these sorts of things without it necessarily having to feel like, oh no, like this person thinks that they're better because they went to a better school. No, the person doesn't think that that's what the field thinks, right? Or that's what like these employers, these big law firms think. Um, and so, you know, you kind of like do what you want with that information, but I think that that's something that's, I've like worked to just be honest with any of like my mentees about. So I definitely factored that in. I knew that I wanted to primarily apply to T14 schools. And so that's what I did. The second thing that I factored in was like geographic location. I did not apply to anywhere I didn't live. Like you would not have found me applying to Cornell because I don't want to live in Ithaca. Like I, oh, no, period. That was, <laughs> like that just was not like, like the Cornell name was not big enough for me personally to where I was like, oh man, like if I get an Ivy League, like that just, I just could not do that, right? Like being in like community is something that's extremely important to me. And just knowing I was most likely going to move away from like my Michigan community. Like I wanted to be able to live in a place where I felt confident that I could actually create that sense of community for myself. And if not create it in an ideal world, go and already have it be there for me. Um, so yeah, I didn't apply anywhere that I didn't want to live just in general. And then, yeah, for sure, financial, uh, you know, financial aid played a huge role, financial aid and scholarship opportunities, um, which like ultimately led to my decision to choose Georgetown, just really being able to see, I think it wasn't only like the packages that I initially received, but it was also just really being able to see like how much the school wanted me. Like I wanted the school to want me as much as I wanted them. And so even when I was doing back and forth and kind of like, you know, using one acceptance and leveraging that in order to get a stronger scholarship package at another school 
for me, like the school's response, of course, like it's money and we need it because law school is very expensive. But beyond that, it was really a way of like knowing that like, wow, like this school really wants me to go here. And I think that that says something about like how they're going to take care of me and how they're going to support me. Um, and so that was like another really important factor. And then let's see, yeah, I think thirdly, and like this definitely isn't like at the bottom of the, or I guess fourthly, but this definitely isn't at the bottom of the list or anything. And this is also why I made the decision to attend Admitted Students Weekend and like the open houses and stuff was really just like, who was at the school? So like, I wanted to be at a school that had a strong balsa. I ideally wanted to be at a school that had a malsa, right? So Black Law Students Association, Muslim Law Students Association, those were things that were really important to me. And even if the schools didn't have that, I wanted to be at a place where like you could go and you could tell that there was a strong presence of, of students that tend to be underrepresented within this field. Um, so that was like one of the reasons Georgetown really stood out to me. Like I, I just wanted to be in a place where I didn't necessarily feel like I would have to be creating this path and like late for myself and then for others, but that years and ideally like decades of work had already gone into making sure that like students like myself could be not only supported, but could could be supported in a way that ensures that we get all of the opportunities that we know that our white fellows are able to get only because they come from long lines of attorneys. Right, right. All of that, you know, it's it just, it's like putting me right back in the time when I was applying, I guess we were applying at the same time. Um, but just <laughs> that last piece, you, y'all, you do not want to go to a school where you will not be valued and appreciated. Do not go to, and which is why Nabintu, Nabintu mentioned, you know, attending the Admitted Students Weekend. I know we're virtual right now, but hopefully, you know, those become a thing again pretty soon. But reach out to people who go to that school. Ask them about their experiences. I promise you they will be more than happy to talk. Um but you don't want to go to a school where you're going to have to be fighting every day, where you're going to have to be paving the way. I mean, hey, some of us are trailblazers and we want to pave the way. And, and that's great and all. But, you know, some of us, we want to go somewhere where we already know the way is there and we can shoot to the top because it's already an open path. And, you know, that's not to say that these law schools don't have their problems, especially within the T14. They do. Trust me. But um when you have that community there to support you and to, you know, if necessary, fight along with you, it makes a difference. You know, law school is stressful enough, hard enough. You don't want to go through it alone, especially your 1L year. Nabintu was in my 1L section. Uh, we're in 2Ls now, closer than ever. So just cannot stress enough that last point that she made. And I also want to go back to what she talked about, Nabintu, with using your acceptances and scholarships to leverage schools. Could you explain a little bit? Like, how did you do that? Did you say like, hey, Michigan, Georgetown gave me this much money, so I'm gonna need you to up that scholarship. Thank you. How did you go about it? Yeah, no, like right before I answer this question, just like to, if nothing else, drive the point home that you just said, Sephora. Um, in, in terms of like having to build a road and create it for yourself, like heavy on the not wanting to do that. Like, I think especially as like, minority students, um, which like I'm assuming a lot of whom will be listening to this, you know, podcast. I think a lot of times we get so used to like having to do that our entire like educational and professional career that like the idea of going to a place where you have to do that again probably does not seem that traumatizing, right? You're probably just like, I mean, whatever. Like I kind of had to like fight for everything else. I might as well fight mm -hmm. for this. While that might be true, like you're going to already have to fight in other ways in law school. Like, so okay. don't make that fight. <laughs> don't make that fight like more of a fight for yourself. That doesn't make you like 
you know what I mean? Like that isn't going to make you a stronger necessarily law student or stronger like applicant to like all of the opportunities that you're going to apply for just because you have to fight for it. Like I think sometimes we feel like we don't want the easy way out, but that having a network and having support and having access is not the easy way out. So you should seek that during your um, admissions process Absolutely. in terms of like, yeah. And in terms of just like leveraging, um, you know, scholarship opportunities and financial aid packages yeah like it's literally exactly what you said Sephora and it's funny enough those are like two of the schools that I actually did that for so yeah like I like of course like we say T14 and we kind of like you know package them in, into like this you know one pool but the T14s within themselves like they know the schools that rank higher than them and so you don't ever have to tell Georgetown like oh by the way Georgetown you're 14 and this other school is number four so you don't have <laughs> right. to, you know I mean you don't have to tell them that but like you let them know that you got an acceptance from another from a high from a uh, another school, they already know whether or not that school is ranked higher than them and the fact that you're considering them over that school, and you're strongly considering them and seriously considering them, that is going to lead them to like giving you more money because they want you. Like the fact that you get that admission to Columbia or that admission to UChicago, whatever, like that makes you a stronger applicant, not necessarily to be to get accepted into like that lower ranked school, if you will, because you already gotten accepted, but it makes that school want you even more. They're like, oh dang, like we already knew you were great enough for us to accept you, but now we want you to come so bad to where we're gonna give you money to come. Because something that you have to remember is like these schools want the next big thing, right? Like you Chicago's gonna brag about the fact that Obama taught there for the rest of their lives. They love that, you know. So schools mm -hmm. are constantly looking for that next big thing and whenever the minute they're able to see that like another school saw you the same way that they saw you they're like oh dang like maybe this one's a little more serious like we really want them to come we want them to like we want that our name to be attached to them and all of their future accomplishments until the end of time and they're gonna milk the heck out of that right like by you being an alumni everything so yeah, like that's really what you do. There's different templates and stuff like that. So I would definitely recommend like reaching out to people and getting support and not necessarily just doing that on your own. Um, looking, whether it's like looking at a sample letter, um, whether it's reaching out to, you know, the BALSA or other affinity groups within the school in order to sort of guide you through that process. I think that's extremely important because you also don't want to offend the school. That's why I mentioned mm -hmm. the thing about you don't tell them that like, oh, Michigan's number eight. Like you don't tell them that, you know what I mean? Because like you, you still want money from them, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like there are creative ways to do it in order to make sure that like they know what you're saying and then you're ultimately getting what you want. Right, exactly. And then kind of building a little bit more off this. So amongst the T14, when you do get, you know, more money from a lower ranked school, at what point or what factors do you think people should take into consideration as to whether they should take the money for the lower ranked school or if they should go pay sticker or, you know, a higher price at a higher ranked school? What factors would you say matter or what should people at least keep in mind and consider? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, it depends, again. <laughs> um, really, like, I guess what I would say is, like, don't, and it, like, this might sound contrary to um, what I just said, right? But prestige is important, but it's not everything. So mm -hmm. I would say like, in addition to the prestige, make sure that you have other factors that are equally, if not probably more important for you and use those factors in order to make your determination. Obviously, if financial aid and scholarship opportunities are a factor for you, they're a factor for a reason. If geographic location is a factor for you, it's a factor for a reason. So don't undermine those things. Don't tell yourself, okay, boom, HLS, I have to go there. There's no other, there's no other 
alternative. That's not true. I literally personally know people who gave up admissions at YLS, right? Literally Yale. And they attended much lower ranked schools because they were like, no, like this, this school not only gave me, was not only like paying for me to go here, like full tuition, like I'm mm-hmm. literally going to graduate with like no debt. And then I'm going to go to big law and be rich. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but they were like, in, in addition to that, like, I actually like the school. I really like the people here. Right. So I would say like, that's something that's extremely important to keep in mind. Um, it wasn't enough for me. Like it wasn't enough for like and and I'm able to like say this because I didn't choose higher ranked schools. I chose Georgetown over schools that are ranked higher than it because of exactly what I just said, the financial opportunities that it afforded me and just knowing that it was going to put me in a, in a better position, just like graduation wise and debt wise. But I also like was able to confidently choose Georgetown knowing that I didn't feel like I was going to lose out on anything. Right. I didn't feel like I was making a, I didn't feel like I was compromising any of like the opportunities that I wanted or anything like that. Um, and so I think like that, that's kind of like a, you know, a way or like a pros and cons list that you have to do for yourself in order to make that decision. Yeah. And guys, just to hammer that home, that last point about not losing out on anything, you need to figure out what's important to you and what's not important to you. So this is like, this is a whole nother conversation for another podcast episode. So I won't get too much into it, but I'll just say, you know, if you just want to go to big law, why are you going to go pay sticker? at, you know, let's say Duke, or I don't want to single any law school out, but why are you going to go pay sticker at a T10 or T12 when you, when you have a full ride offer to a T13 or T14, if all you want to do is big law or, or like, why are you going to go pay sticker at a T7 at, and you have a full ride to Duke, a T10, right? Because if you go look at those big law outcomes, they're probably pretty similar. So you're likely to get big law from either school So go to the school that's giving you more money, right? So anyway, there's, there's a lot of factors that you would need to take and take into account. You know, you want to be looking at those big all factors. If that's what you want to do, you want to be looking at clerkship um, rates, numbers, if that's what you want to do. If you want to go into academia, that's a completely another topic for another day, but all of those factors, they matter. And this, I think, although we are talking in terms of the T14 here, it also kind of applies to schools outside of the T14, you know? And I think even looking at like U- University of Tennessee and University of Florida and George Washington, those schools in the T20 and T30, this applies to those schools at all as well. You know, you want to be making sure that you are looking at the factors that are most important to you and taking them all into account. If you are a public interest, do not go pay sticker. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say it so, so strongly, but like, why go pay sticker at, you know, a T20 when you have a full ride to a T25, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So just, just, again, this is a conversation for another day, but I'm just like, I'm getting, I'm getting in my head now because Nabintu's got me on a roll. Um, But so Nabintu, another question that um, just came into my mind when you were talking about, you know, the prestige factor. So did you apply to any schools outside of the T14 at all? Or did you kind of just say, yo, I'm going to shoot my shot. And then if not, then what? So I definitely did. I definitely did. I only applied to, I believe, two or three schools outside of the T14. And those were because like, those were schools whose programs I was particularly interested in. So I think that goes back to like the whole idea of like, what you're applying to and why you're applying to it. So like, for example, Notre Dame was one of the schools that I applied to that, that was outside of the T14. 
Um, yeah. So like other schools that I applied to, but there was like a very specific reason for why. So one that comes to mind for sure for me was like, if they had a really, really strong, like immigration clinic reputation or something, I was like, dang, I really want to go here. Like, I really want to be affiliated with this clinic or something of that sort. Um, so yeah, like I, I would definitely say like, don't limit yourself to the T14, T20, T25, whatever. Um, but as you're applying and especially when you're making your decision, um, do take into account that like the field is what it is. And if at some point, if you think that it's even a mere possibility that you could want the bigger things that kind of require the name. So think clerkships, think like the big law opportunities, then I don't think it could hurt to seriously consider your options at a T14. Yeah, I completely agree. And just to kind of hammer home, you know, we're speaking in terms of T14 and we're talking about prestige and, you know, Nabintu mentioned this already. It's not that those people who particularly focus on those schools or only talk about those schools are like, oh, I'm better than everyone else. It's simply that the legal field, quite honestly, it is prestige Latin, right? And it's elitist in a way. And so if you do have those big goals, you kind of want to set yourself up to be able to compete. Now, that's absolutely 100% not to say that if you do go to one of the other tier 100 or outside of the T14 ranked schools, you can't achieve those goals. That's absolutely not the case. It just might be a little bit harder. So you might need to do a little more legwork. And, and on that same note, um, don't rule yourself out, right? You know, if your GPA is not that great, make up for it with your LSAT. If your LSAT isn't that great, try to bring your GPA up. Um, outside of those, you know, focus on your personal statement, get strong recommenders, do what you need to do in order to, um, you know, give yourself a shot. But also, even if you're below the 25th percentile, don't not apply for that reason. The only advice I would give you here is if one of your, so if your GPA is at the T50, T50 and your LSAT is also at or below the T25, still apply. Even if both of your, you know, application materials are at the T25, still apply. You know, don't just rule yourself out before the school even has a chance to look at you. Um, yeah, so that's what I have to say on that front. And I do have another question for you, Nabintu, about pre-law school programs. So you did SEO. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, what that involved, and if it was helpful for you? I did do SEO. Um, highly recommend applying, like just giving it a shot. I don't think it could ever hurt. Um, SEO was, yeah, so like I, like the whole like idea behind the program, right? And like the goal is to really be able to like fulfill this mission that like so many are trying to, which is just like diversifying law school and so, uh, sorry, diversifying big law. Um, and so I think that like, apply to the program, right? Like if nothing else, you're going to walk away having had like a summer position at a firm. Of course, you're, they're not going to pay you like as much as they pay like their regular summer associates. I'm not going to cap, but it's still <laughs> probably going to be more money than like you've probably seen in like a little bit of time. So yeah, if nothing else, you walk away from that. And then, yeah, I think it's a huge leg up in the sense that like other firms are able, and this is kind of like the whole idea behind 1L summer positions as well, which like Sephora is probably going to do like an entire episode on and everything. So I won't get into that too much, but <laughs> yeah. firms like to be able to see that another firm has already vetted you. So the Absolutely. fact that I had like, the fact that I had a big law firm on my resume right before I had even started law school, like I probably, like I could have hated that position or whatever, which I didn't, like I had a great time, but just saying that like, other firms are literally able to look at that, look at your resume and see like, oh, look, one of our like peers have already hired this person before. So like that takes care of like 
X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't know what those boxes are that they're checking off, but like, they like not having to do that additional vetting process of you because it's less of a risk for them. So um, SEO is definitely great for that. And then the other thing, which like you'll also learn in law school is like so much of this field is about networks and SEO really provides that as well. Like you'll be able to meet so many amazing people. They're going to like law schools all across the T14, some even out of the T14. And so being able to have a bigger network of people and these are also like amazing people, just like you're like an amazing person as well, right? So you're going to hear like, oh my God, this person is just like um, EIC of like HLS Law Review, whatever, right? Like, so like you'll, and you'll know that person. Of course, you might not know them intimately or like closely or whatever, but like you all would have done like two weeks together in like a summer institute. And that's enough of a connection for you to send them an email if you need something someday. Like, I think it sounds really weird out loud. And sometimes you're really uncomfortable talking about that. But that is the field. And I don't think that that's only limited to like the legal field. I think that's like just in general. But yeah, you'll be able to like know people and just like widen your network, which I think like can't hurt you. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that Binzi said. And I will have an episode dedicated to, you know, 1L summer firm jobs and just 1L jobs in general. And also a podcast about networking, because that is one of the biggest and most overlooked aspects of law school and networking can get you places where you never would go. Okay. Um, so Nabintu, I'm going to now jump into our final four. And essentially what the final four is, it's a speed round of four questions. I just want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind for the listeners. Are you ready? I'm ready. I love this segment, but yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First question. How can law students best set themselves up for success? Research. Second question. How should law students choose what extracurriculars to get involved with? Uh, genuine interest. Third question. What is one person or one thing every law student must have? Uh, one person, one thing. A network. Okay. And then last question. How do you relax while in law school? Ice cream. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. Okay, Nabintu, thank you so much for joining oh, us. Oh, is that it? Oh, that curve. was so fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for me. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I promise you guys, you will probably hear from Nabintu again. She is great. She has so much insight. And you guys can listen to the episode and you can shoot me an email, shoot me comments. I will also leave Nabintu's information in the show notes so you can reach out to her if you have any questions. And guys, subscribe to my blog, download the podcast, do what you need to do, get the word out, and I will see you on our next episode. Bye. Thanks so much, Sephora. Good luck, everyone. Bye.